Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's podcast, we're talking about Sony shutting down the PSN store on older consoles. We are talking about Microsoft and their new AR deal with the U.S. military. And we are talking about the Tencent-owned gaming studio, Timmy, making $10 billion in 2020. Okay, on to topic number one. Sony has announced that they'll be shutting down their PlayStation Store on consoles older than PlayStation 4. So that includes the PlayStation 3, the PlayStation Vita, and the PlayStation Portable or PSP. Um, How do you feel about this? Are you kind of sad it's sort of the end of an era, even though it's the era before the current era, it's the end of an era nonetheless? Yeah, uh, to me, it's, it's a, it's a, it's big news, not just for the fact that it's, it's shutting down for PlayStation 3, PSP, and PS Vita, but it's also big news for what the future of video games might look like, especially when considered, you know, Sony just brought out a new console and one version of the console has no disk drive. It's just all digital and it's a great price. And even when I saw it, I was like, man, I really want that thing. But seeing what can happen to, you know, a system like the PlayStation 3, which, you know, yeah, it might be old in the PSP and the PS Vita, which might sound old. But at the same time, there's so many amazing games for those generations. Specifically, that generation, I think, is one of the greatest in gaming history. You know, we got games like, personally, what's my favorite game of all time, like Skyrim. And the idea that, at that time, Sony made digital-only consoles, like the PlayStation Portable Go which was this cool console that didn't have anywhere to put any kind of discs or anything or UMDs. It was all digital. You had to get everything from the PlayStation store. And now that device, you, can, you can't get any more new games. And that is, uh, I think, a little bit of a cautionary tale of there's this idea that things are going more and more digital in the future and disc drives and stuff like that might disappear from consoles. What does that mean for the preservation of your favorite games or, you know, a game that you never played 20 years ago and you might want to get a chance to play? You know, it's not like you can go to a flea market and pick up a cartridge like you could for something like a Super Nintendo. When the PlayStation 3 becomes that retro console and you get that hankering to play a game that, you know, like Black or something, well, that's PlayStation 2, but, you know, like uh, one of these classic games that maybe you never got a chance to or, or you just never heard of, it's going to be so much more difficult now without that PlayStation Store, considering that was one of the largest parts of those, that generation of consoles. That was a huge kind of changeover from people stop buying uh, physical copies to get digital. And yeah, it's, I think it's really sad. I think it's, it's one of those things where, for the most part, as someone who, who has a PSP and loves a PSP, my, one of my favorite games of all time is Street Fighter Alpha Max 3. That's a game you can't get anywhere else other than the PSP, which is crazy to think considering that Capcom just brought out a Street Fighter collection that had Street Fighter Alpha 3, but doesn't have that version. So yeah, it's just the idea that eventually those games will just disappear. And because so many of those consoles were digital only or heavily digitally focused, it, it it's just kind of sad to know that there's going to be a lot of games that people will just never be able to play again legally, quote unquote. 
um, because I would imagine this is going to spur a lot of people into the downloading and and emulation and stuff like that, which you know is is cool and all that, but that also gets rid of that whole kind of culture around going to a place and having a conversation with maybe someone who's selling that game at a flea market or at a garage sale where it might have been their favorite game or something like that. It's 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 kind of a little bit sterile. You don't get that kind of history of what that game meant to people at that time. So yeah, it's it's I don't know. I think it's it's a it's sad not just for those consoles, but for me personally, it kind of cements the idea that I would probably never get an all digital console, at least in this generation. Um, but how about you? Uh, how do you feel? I know when the PlayStation Five was coming out and we saw the PlayStation Five all digital price. I think we both agreed that that console looked better, but from that moment, you always said you were going to get the, the one with the disc. And at that time, I was like, oh, does that, like, the other one is so much better value. But 100%, I agree with you now, seeing what, what the future could kind of hold for that. To be honest, I'm surprised the PlayStation Store is still active for the PlayStation 3, Vita, and the PSP. Um, I mean, those were kind of consoles, especially the PS Vita you know consoles i completely forgot about the one thing with this though so the playstation store is i guess you know quote unquote closing on these consoles for anything that you've already purchased maybe that's already you know in your gaming library you could still re-download that you can still play those games it's just you know like you said if it's someone maybe who has been holding on to a psp and then later on they find out about you know, Street Fighter Alpha Max. Was it Street Fighter 3 Alpha Max? Yeah, yeah. Let's say they find out about that and they're like, oh man, I never heard about that. Let me go back and play it. If they never played it before, they won't be able to play it, which is very unfortunate. And, you know, you brought up a good point about this new current generation, right? Maybe because I'm someone who's grown up always having something physical, like a physical cartridge or a physical disc or something like that. It doesn't seem right to have a game to me without the physical game, even though, like we brought up before on this podcast, so much of what we get now isn't even an actual game on the disc. It's just the rights to download the game. I remember when the Xbox Series X first launched, there was a lot of controversy because, you know, people couldn't even turn on their system properly because... It had to connect to the Xbox Live server, and there's so much people trying to do it at once that the server crashed, and so people effectively couldn't use the brand new system they just bought because they couldn't connect to the network, right? Let's say, you know, 20 years from now, PlayStation 8, and they decide to discontinue the, or they decide to close the PlayStation Store on PlayStation 5, right? If you have a disc, and you want to play a game on a PlayStation 5 that you never played before, It's you, there's nothing on that disc, really. It's just permission to download from the store, but if the store is closed, then you really don't own anything. So it's right now we're almost at this kind of like illusion of physically owning a game. It's still just a di- like a digital thing that you're downloading to your system, but it is... I guess there aren't as many games that I'm tied to with PlayStation 3. That's the way that I'm seeing this. And even when there were games for PlayStation 3, right, those were still games that were mostly stored on the physical disc. 
it wasn't as much okay you're using this disc to download the rights to play this game right so there are still i'd say you know then this is just me theorizing the majority of games on playstation 3 if you have the disc you don't need to be connected to the internet to play them this is i'm not sure if this is completely true but for the majority of majority of them i would assume so but like playstation 4 playstation 5 and onwards right we don't even know if playstation 6 and i'm talking about playstation 6 when playstation 5 just came out but we don't know if the future of consoles is even going to have the option of you know a disc version you know a quote-unquote disc version it may just be only digital downloads from this point forward so the store closing it's unfortunate right especially because you know like you said you could go back and buy you know an old video game at a flea market somewhere right you can right now we're so fortunate that let's say you can go back and buy an old sega game and or an old n64 game from someone at a flea market or a garage sale and you could still play it if you have that console you can still you know buy that console somewhere and play it but once the online store closes, there is no more retro gaming. I'm assuming that they're doing this. And then eventually for the PlayStation 4, it's going to be, you know, here's a catalog of all of our old games, sort of like what Nintendo Online's doing, right? On the Switch, you can play everything back from the original Nintendo Entertainment System onwards on your Switch if you have Nintendo Online. So I'm assuming that, you know, closing the PS Vita store, the PSP store, the, the PS three store they're bringing all of those all the games on those consoles onto the store for playstation 5 or 4 onward but it's what would make sense to me i'm not sure if that's what they're the direction that they're going but that's where i see this going hopefully yeah i i honestly wouldn't be surprised if if they really have no kind of interest in carrying that stuff forward and, and the reason why I bring that up is one of the biggest problems with this starting with things like the Vita, the PSP, and the PlayStation 3 is that is the first generation that had download-only games. Things like Shadow Complex and, you know, on the Xbox side, Xbox Live Arcade. There were games that literally did not have disc copies, did not have physical copies. And for that generation that was considered some of the best games of that generation. Even if you look at something as, as recent as the PlayStation 4, when that console launched, for months and months and months, the best game on that console was Resogun, a download-only game from Housemark. So mm. it, the, the fact that, you know, and I, I've, this happened to me really recently, where the Xbox 360, which does have an online store still active, there is a very, very, very good version, the best version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2 that was for sale on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. You can't buy that game anywhere. Literally nowhere. It doesn't exist on the Microsoft Store, Xbox Store, PlayStation Store, PC. It just does not exist. So if you don't... I'm pretty sure I have the disc of that. <laughs> well, and this thing, like, if you didn't buy it, you can't get it. Um, because that version um, for the for the 360 and the PS3, where they redid all the graphics in HD, was digital only. There was no physical version of that. Um, but there was for like Dreamcast and PlayStation 2 
and even like earlier versions when they ported it to the PlayStation 3. So, and this is like kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Street Fighter Alpha Max 3. Sure, there are versions of all these games that float around from console to console, but there are very specific versions where this one will have one character or this one will have this special feature or even just a random game like Shadow Complex that was only, you know, made by Epic Games pre-Fortnite, you know, where it was only available uh, through a digital download. And there can be a future where those games will just disappear off the face of the planet. And, you know, we saw it with um, with Konami's uh, PT, playable trailer for Silent Hill, which for a trailer was considered one of the greatest, you know, kind of games ever, especially in the horror genre. And Konami just one day decided, hey, we're pulling it from the PlayStation Store. And unless you have that on, on your console, you can never experience that. And yeah, it's it's definitely, I, I think what you said is is 100% the case of like there is this at least for i think a lot of us older generation of gamers there's this tie to the physical kind of game because that was your really only way like i still have games and i, I know you do as well from older older consoles that you know you go back to every now and then and and even just to collect so you know that you have it that is very quickly going away and i wouldn't be surprised like you said if after this is this playstation 5 and xbox series generation is the last time we see a disk drive on a console which if i was sony or if i was microsoft i would want to sow at least a few seeds of faith in you know the community that hey sure these things are digital only but don't worry we're not going to abandon them and i think this is kind of a sign that <laughs> they have no they have no problems abandoning older consoles um if it's not financially viable, which is, is just a little bit side, sad. It is a little bit sad. But I mean, Xbox, at least with their Game Pass, right? They have games going all the way back to the original Xbox, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah. They definitely seem like, you know, as you put it, a sign of good faith towards their, I guess, core Xbox fans that, hey, if, you know, you're with us, we're going to take care of you. You can play Halo 1 through Halo Infinite, let's say, all on the same console if you want to. Mm-hmm. And I said Sony announced this. I don't think they've officially announced it yet. It seems like, I guess, someone has seen some sort of, you know, internal memo from PlayStation. Um, you know, maybe some sort of emails have been intercepted or something like that, or it's, you know, from an inside source, somebody got this information. So for all we know, when they officially announce that, you know, these doors will be closed and they could say, Hey, don't worry. We're still taking care of our, our fans, you know, all the way back to PlayStation three and PS PSP. But at the moment, it seems like they're just closing things down with no real, I guess, plan to to bring any of these classic games to future consoles. Yeah. So hopefully we do get some sort of, you know, blog post or announcement soon saying, Hey, these stores are closing, but we're still going to take care of those fans out there. But at the moment it's kind of, you know, everyone's just waiting to see what they announce when they officially announce it. And if anyone's interested, like I've never, I was a big into the PSP, never really got into the Vita just because it was so expensive. But there are so many cool games that are exclusive to the Vita that 
I mean, generally handhelds are, are very Japanese focused. So, you know, that was at an era where Sony was, you know, had most of their studios in Japan and had most of their relationships in Japan. So a lot of cool JRPGs and, and Japanese action games um, like Gravity Rush and stuff like that, that, you know, yeah, there was a PlayStation 4 version of that game, but there's so many more games like that that are on the Vita that if I were to buy one today or at least a few months from now, it would be very difficult for me to find, which is, is, is might be a, a good way or a good kind of sales pitch to say, hey, go buy a Vita right now. <laughs> yeah, Get all the games you want. Um, for anyone interested, the PlayStation 3 store will close on July 2nd. The Vita store will close on August 27th. And the PSP store will also be closing on July 2nd. So if you ever wanted, you know, PlayStation... Three and uh, any games on PlayStation Three exclusively. Make sure you go and buy one and get everything you can by July second. Yeah. Okay. Recently, uh, Microsoft has won a deal with the U.S. military, and this deal involves Microsoft supplying one hundred and twenty thousand Hololens-style augmented reality headsets to the U.S. military. This deal could be worth up to $21.88 billion over the next 10 years. Um, I guess, have you been able to do some reading into this, some looking into this, and what do you think of this news? Yeah, so I looked into this like very briefly because the first thing that kind of surprised me was, you know, the first time I heard, I heard, saw this headline, I just saw U.S. military and Microsoft. And I thought that was a little strange because we have had news of Microsoft um kind of breach security breach when it came to like the u.s government and the u.s military in, in recent uh months and the idea that like this very lucrative lucrative kind of contract could come up out of nowhere but then you see hololens and augmented reality and then it all kind of makes sense um i honestly i'm having a hard time envisioning what the use case for that is like i've, I've seen a lot of of advertisements with HoloLens talking about, hey, you can use this device to train people on how to do something on an assembly line, or you can use this to show, you know, or, or even in the, the mesh network, like we talked about, communicate, you know, almost like you're in the same room with someone and, and kind of collaborate on projects. Where that kind of fits into the U.S. military in a practical sense and I know like a lot of ideas have been floating out there of like how they want to use this and stuff like that to justify, you know, the, the investment. But as someone who has never used either VR or AR, it's one of those things that, that kind of makes it a little bit to wrap my head around. And I think that's something that, that someone that people have always explained. Like you really don't understand or it's really difficult to understand how useful those technologies can be until you're actually in it. And seeing like how a lot of this stuff is finally starting because it's, it's been talked about for a bit and we've talked about it even on this podcast how a lot of this stuff was used for entertainment gaming you know live events and stuff like that um but seeing this this technology kind of move into a practical sense for industries and military and governments and stuff like that i think is a huge step forward in the growing up of augmented reality and virtual reality but on top of that i think you said this exact thing in a previous podcast 
this is what's going to make it the the thing that's in everyone's home where if a parent has to use it for work or if you know you can get it into the household through live events or something like that but this is this is someone's job essentially to use these devices and i would imagine that if this is successful which you know microsoft is betting really heavily that that hololens will be successful um especially in this kind of new world that we're in i would imagine that a lot of not just military organizations or government organizations but just companies in general it could be kind of like a landslide of adoption for this kind of technology and that is something that is crazy to think of like when virtual reality first started and focused so much on gaming and it was really kind of expensive for like an everyday consumer to get their hands on it was slow adoption but when companies and governments and militaries who have billions and billions and billions of dollars even trillions of dollars to spend on stuff like this that that market can just change in a snap overnight and i think this is kind of an interesting step to see if it actually goes in that direction um if microsoft can be successful i definitely i definitely think they can be successful in this um and some of the reading that i've done it it seems like they've been working closely with the U.S. Army since 2018. I guess that's when they originally won their first contract with the U.S. Army. And they kind of had these, you know, a prototype HoloLens system that they were developing in conjunction with the military, right? So it was something, you know, they had, okay, their first HoloLens, and then they got some feedback from some operatives using it or, you know, some commanders using it and said, okay, well, we need more of this. And then they go redesign it and they bring it back. Okay, yeah, you solved these problems, but we need more of this and this. And it seems like over the years, you know, over the two years that they've been partnered together, it's grown successfully enough that now they've won another contract, right? $21.88 billion. It's not a small amount of money. 121,000 headsets. It's not a, a small amount of headsets, right? Yeah. In some of the stuff I've seen, you know, it's... Like you mentioned, it's useful for training people, right? So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, people have seen the tactical training courses. You know, you see Keanu Reeves going through a training course, hitting all the, you know, the shooting targets and everything. But imagine all of that now in a heads-up display. So now you don't have to actually physically shoot at a target or shoot at a, a pop-up dummy. It's all happening virtual in front of you and this hololens is tracking all of your movements all of your aim all of your trajectory everything like that you know some of the things that they've mentioned is these new i guess they're calling them uh, integrated visual augmentation system an ivas headset it's combining high resolution night thermal and soldier borne sensor so imagine you know it's the middle of the night. Normally, you'd have to have this big, clunky night vision goggles that you, okay, it's night. I'm switching on to see in the dark. This HoloLens that you just normally wear, it's now displaying night vision for you. It's displaying your coordinates. It's displaying, you know, a compass for you, your altitude, your altimeter, everything like that. And then now you need to see into a building. It's the same HoloLens. It's showing you what's behind that building thermally, right? So it seems 
it seems more and more like real life is starting to, you know, imitate science fiction or what we see in movies or even what we've seen in video games. Yeah. Right. And now this is something that's becoming more and more mainstream. We've mentioned it becoming something that's part of every home. It's always something goes through the military first. And then once it's a military standard, then it comes to the public. Right. You look at the Internet. It was military first. And then now everyone has Internet on their phone. You look at, you know, drones, right? Drones were drones as in quadcopters. They were a military thing first. And now DJI has them. Everyone has first person view drones. Everyone has like a drone they can fit in their pocket now. How long until, okay, the military is using these AR headsets and now everybody's using them. Teachers are using them. You know, business people are using them. Scientists are using them. And this deal that they signed with the military, like you said, it could be a landslide, right? This is such a huge marketing opportunity. Microsoft can now go to someone they're trying to get a contract with. It's like, hey, we're good enough for the U.S. military. You think you know better than the U.S. military? They didn't sign with Oculus. They didn't sign with, you know, Steam and their, their Vive, whatever, headset. You think you know better than the U.S. military? And you're like, oh, no, yeah, that's a pretty good point, you know? I I think this is a huge step for Microsoft. I think this is a huge step for getting AR and VR more into the, you know, the everyday common person's household. Yeah. And I think the, one of the key aspects of this is the investment. Like, it's we talked about, you know, OnePlus, um, I think it was last week or the week before, about, oh, hey, they got $150 million or they paid $150 million to Hasselblad to, you know, help develop their cameras and stuff like that. That's, that's, you know, interesting investment. You know, maybe that will, over the next three years, something will actually come of that. If you're building augmented reality or virtual reality and you're getting, you know, $1,000 here, $1,400 there from a consumer every now and then, sure, it can help you grow your business. But if you're getting close to $22 billion, to develop this technology for yeah it's, it's going to be for the military but hey that's how the internet started right it was developing technology for the military but all of that money invested in that technology is what made it become so ubiquitous and great at being a communications device this doesn't just give microsoft a, a leg up in terms of all of that money of investment but just the entire industry of ar and vr of saying these are billions of dollars that we can pour into this to say this doesn't work, but this does. And unless they had those billions of dollars to to throw at it, they probably wouldn't. It probably would have taken them decades to get to that point, right? Um, in the traditional way of like if it was just in gaming. And this kind of brings up something that I remember from the Consumer Electronics Show, maybe like four or five years ago, where uh, someone was developing a smart scope or let's say like a hunting rifle or something like that, where the scope would in real time calculate the wind around it, um, you know, the drop off of the projectile and stuff like that, and would actually change where you need to aim to hit your target. So it would tell you, okay, you need to aim here to hit the target over there. Um, and it would do all that calculation for you so you didn't have to do it manually. What you said is so perfect with the idea of having that augmented reality of all that information there provided for you. And then, like you mentioned, also drones. We, there's a, a 
show on Disney Plus right now, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon has these goggles and he has this drone that he can tell to go, you know, here, there, and everywhere. At at some point, it, this augmented reality could have, you know, a soldier who has a direct feed to his drone at all times. Um, you know, if it's aerial view to know what's going around while also being fully aware of what's going around him on the ground, him or her on the ground. And then what does that then mean for the future of 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 uh, operating drones? Can now Microsoft go to someone like Amazon and say, hey, you want to deliver packages by drones. We have the technology where you can put on this augmented reality headset. And in a case where it's not doing it automatically, you can control this drone from the comfort of either your employee's home or the office or any, you know, kind of where where you didn't you don't need to have uh, you know, gas powered vehicles driving here, there and everywhere to deliver those packages. And this I think what you said is one hundred percent right. Like this is a huge step forward just because of that that dollar value investment of saying, Hey, this can be a very real thing and, and like you said, very successful. And I think the fact that, you know, it's tens of billions of dollars being put into it is, is a huge factor in that. Definitely. And you brought up a good point too. Not only is it a big deal for Microsoft, right? It kind of validates the whole industry of AR and VR. There's a lot of rumors around Apple coming out with an AR headset at some point in the next couple of years, right? This is just Apple sees AR as the future. And that's pretty evident from them putting LiDAR sensors in their, in their, you know, their iPhone 12 pros. Mm-hmm. This validates their AR play even more. And it's kind of any company or, yeah, any company that's kind of been secretly working on some sort of AR or VR, you know, headset or functionality, it almost, it justifies what they, what money they've been putting into it. And it's almost, it makes it easier to sell it to people, right? It makes it easier to advertise it to people as in consumers or people as in you know future businesses you're trying to partner with or get deals with and even something as simple as you know maybe the next samsung phone has a lidar sensor in it also maybe the next oneplus phone has a lidar sensor in it also maybe maybe now everything's gonna have a lidar sensor in it because microsoft has made this deal and has made ar made such a a big gain in terms of ar yeah Okay, our final topic of the day. Tencent Gaming Studio Timmy uh, recorded $10 billion in revenue in the year 2020. Timmy is owned by Tencent, and they've developed huge games such as Call of Duty Mobile and a MOBA that's actually, I believe, only available in China called Honor of Kings. Now, I guess... You've heard of Tencent games. I'm not sure if you've heard of Timmy before, but have you heard of these games that I've mentioned? And have you kind of heard about how successful they've been in the past year? So, yeah, I, I've Timmy, not particularly, but I was always very aware of Tencent um, as someone who plays quite a bit of Fortnite and really likes, um, you know, Unreal Engine and stuff like that. And it's kind of tied into what Epic Games has been doing. Tencent owns almost 50% of Epic Games. So, you know, seeing their kind of acquisitions and, and stuff that they own has is, is always been kind of really interesting to me. 
but this side of it i never really never really saw and what kind of surprised me when you when you mentioned this article to me i was we were talking about this right before the podcast but what was so shocking to me is that this 10 billion dollars doesn't include fortnite and that kind of surprised me because you know i know call of duty mobile is really popular um i know league of legends is really popular also not a not a part of this call of duty mobile is but league of legends isn't but i didn't imagine that those mobile games and stuff like that could have made like i know they make a lot of money i didn't know that they could make this much without the likes of fortnite and league of legends um but yeah it's it's crazy and just to go over like some of the products that fall under the the timmy studios it's like you mentioned the mobas uh honor of kings arena of valor uh player unknowns battlegrounds uh, the mobile version uh call of duty mobile and pokemon unite which yes is really interesting I, did you get a chance to play it i did what did you think i did play so the beta happened i want to say in february it was either february or march there was a beta for android users only in canada which i happened to be um i thought it was a lot of fun i like mobas like league of legends it's a very fun game style and also the fact that it was pokemon which i like a lot too yeah you know just the fusion of those two kind of was like the perfect crossroads for me i thought it was a really fun game and that is you know without the community aspect of it a big part of you know these mobas like league of legends is a community aspect of playing with your friends getting a team together that sort of thing i was the only one playing it and it was still a lot of fun there were times you know i wish i had more free time in my day when the the beta was going on to play it but fortunately time ran out so i think when it does launch this is going to be another huge thing that can kind of that can boost their revenue or i guess boost their success there wasn't that much of a actually there wasn't really any of a any of a paid aspect to it but that was a beta i don't think (laughs) you're gonna have a very successful beta test if you're you're having people people. pay money for it Yeah. yeah um but there was you know the typical battle pass aspect to it that was kind of there as a free aspect i'm sure at some point they're gonna have people pay for it but in terms of just straight up gameplay it was a very fun game it, that's the crazy part right is like okay timmy is now with this this them making 10 billion dollars off of just you know those few games that 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 we've mentioned and not including pokemon unite yet which is pokemon is one of the most valuable brands in all of video games i think it's the most valuable brand in the world yeah like that is and that's not included in this 10 billion dollars and they are already just timmy like i said not including league of legends and not including fortnite and epic games and unreal engine and all that stuff that they own a huge margin of but they are already the largest gaming company, bigger than Activision Blizzard. Which yeah, so people know Activision Blizzard, who makes you know the console Call of Duty franchise. They earned eight point zero nine billion in twenty twenty. Timmy, 
who makes the mobile version of Call of Duty make ten billion. So crazy. So I'm, I know before in you know previous podcasts we've kind of we've uh, looked down our nose at mobile games. I think especially around when we were talking about the ROG Phone Five, right? Because oh, you know, who makes a, a phone just for gamers, and who's gonna play games on their phone like that? And you know, what kind of niche market is this? It's probably like ten people. But, I mean, the numbers don't lie. There's a lot of people playing games on their phones. A lot of people spending money on games on their phones, right? For this mobile, you know, I guess not triple A, as it's put, gaming studio to make $10 billion in 2020 is absolutely crazy, right? If you think back in 2020, a lot of people were kind of going crazy for nintendo yeah right nintendo switches were selling out everywhere everyone was talking about animal crossing everyone was trying to get a you know a switch to play at home nintendo if i have my numbers correctly made 12 billion dollars last year nintendo the entire company this one mobile phone gaming studio made 10 billion (laughs) dollars which is yeah crazy crazy to think and $10 $10 billion off of, like, I would imagine they had to pay quite a bit for the licenses, uh, for licensing Call of Duty and licensing um, uh, Pokemon. I imagine, you know, Pokemon Company is getting a lot of money from, from Tencent for, to allow them to use that. Or there might be some profit sharing or something that's going on, going on with that, that kind of deal. But the actual development costs for games like this is so much more reasonable than let's say sony making a last of us part two or a cd project making a a cyberpunk Cyberpunk 2077 you know (laughs) 10 years seven to ten years on a game that launches and it launches broken um cost them so much money tencent did not have to put near that amount of investment to make call of duty mobile and the fact that they can do that and still be the largest uh you know making the most amount of money than any other company out there is so gigantic and so kind of i think on one hand i think this is really good and i I think this is good because it shows that investing a ton of money into a game because you think it's going to get that direct return on investment this this proves that that's not necessarily necessary you just need to make something that's fun and accessible for people to play which you know pokemon unite sounds like it's going to be um like you said even when you weren't playing with a group of people it was still fun call of duty mobile very accessible every time i see a phone review it's always a game that i see people are playing and you know a lot of these games are free to play with microtransactions and that was something you know microtransactions were used to be a bad word in games but clearly it's resonated with a huge audience of people as, as much as you know some people who really loved video games for a long time might cringe at that idea and think that that's terrible the fact is it's resonated with a lot of people and especially when the price to get into it is so low free in most cases it kind of just gives you that ability to build an audience really quickly and you know when you can build that audience and you're selling digital goods, you can get like a $5 here or $2 there, or $10 here or there, and then a bunch of money from those whales, people who like to spend a lot of money, 
and then eventually you get to ten billion dollars. So it's it's pretty nuts to see like this different kind of aspect to gaming, especially in the mobile space. And you know, I, I mentioned this in a, in a previous podcast. I think this is what you know Microsoft is trying to aim for with things like XCloud. Of I think they feel if they can get into mobile, if they can get into phones, they will have the ability to get to this kind of level of, of, of money. Whether they can do it or not is still remains to be seen. I think what Tencent has done in terms of the games that they've put out, the quality of games that they've put out, but also making games in franchises that people all already loved, like Call of Duty and like Pokemon and like League of Legends and Fortnite and all that, I think gave them a leg up to really kind of set to hit the ground running in terms of now becoming the most valuable most valuable game company but yeah it, it, when you mentioned this to me i was so surprised that it surpassed that timmy surpassed activision blizzard because when that acquisition happened when they merged at the time it seemed like it was impossible that any company would even come close to activision blizzard and here a company that I personally never even heard of, I've heard of Tencent, but never heard of Timmy, is now bigger than it, which is so nuts to to actually hear. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, just some more numbers for anyone who's interested. Call of Duty Mobile had the biggest mobile game launch ever when it released in October of 2019. They had over 100 million downloads worldwide in its first week. And then Honor of Kings, a game that's only available in China, had 100 million daily active users as of November 2020. So, I mean, when you have numbers in the hundreds of millions, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And he brought up a good point, right? These are things that are accessible for people. When you talk about the only barrier to entry is do you have a phone in a day and age where pretty much every like 14-year-old up has a phone, it's very easy to get this game on someone's to get this game in someone's hands Mm -hmm. when you look at something like okay call of duty black ops let's say the most recent call of duty or call of duty black ops cold war you need to have a playstation 4 or a playstation 5 or an xbox or an xbox series x or s these are hundreds of dollars into something that you're just using for games whereas if we're talking about a phone right it runs on Android. It runs on iOS, I'm pretty sure. And it isn't something that you have to go out and spend $400 on. A lot of times, if a kid has a phone, it's something that's a hand-me-down from an older sibling or you know, a, a relative or a parent that's giving them their old phone, which still works perfectly fine, just you know how frequently phones update these days. So you're getting this, let's call it a console now, for free. You're getting this game for free so when you look in terms of okay how much money am i spending on this game if you didn't pay for the console to play it on you didn't pay for the actual game spending twenty dollars for you know some aesthetics for the game doesn't seem that expensive when you compare that to a playstation 5 right you're spending six hundred dollars on the console you're spending another hundred dollars on the game do you really want to spend another $20 on something for that game? Yeah. That you're just, you're $700 in the hole for already, right? If you look at it that way, you could have the phone for free, the game for free, 
And you could spend $600 in that game that you play all the time with your friends, and it would still cost you less than a PlayStation 5. I think that's really why these games are so lucrative, you know, because of the microtransaction aspect of it. There's such a low barrier to entry that it almost seems like you're, you know, playing with house money in a way. Yeah. And I would imagine if you start adding in PUBG, Epic Games... What is the League of Legends developer called? Riot Games. When you start mm-hmm. adding in all those companies, I would imagine that Tencent more than doubles. And I'm talking about just their gaming division because I know Tencent is a huge company. But just their gaming division, I would imagine more than doubles what Activision Blizzard is, which is so much larger than EA, which is so much larger than Ubisoft. So it's like there's exponential growth going on with Tencent and with Timmy. So it's just... It's it's crazy to to see how successful that model of set the price of entry low and you know if people want to invest in skins and characters and you know all these other little things that can happen in a game hats I don't know um, they can <laughs> and that could end up being far more profitable than charging a bunch of money for a console and then seventy eighty ninety to a hundred dollars for the game. Um, and then, you know, another $40 two months later for DLC, that can be fatiguing for a lot of people. Like you said, like that can feel like, well, why am I just continually, continually giving so much money to this game? But if you say the game is, you know, no price for entry and this month you might put $15 and, you know, two months down the road, you might put $40. Eventually your lifespan with that game. And it's the interesting thing. There's a new Call of Duty game every year. Call of Duty Mobile has been pretty consistent with its user base and getting people to to continue to play that game. And that has been far more successful than the, oh, we're going to sell you a $70, $60 game every single year. So yeah, I, I definitely think you're 100% right. They, they definitely cracked the code of getting people interested into playing the games and then paying for small little things that in the long run will be get you far more money or got Timmy far more money than the traditional kind of way of selling someone a game and then selling them DLC and, and all that stuff that that's currently the main way in, in traditional gaming. Yeah. Some also interesting news that has gotten me excited. Timmy is apparently hiring right now for a AAA game. And a AAA game means, you know, consoles, your traditional PlayStation, Xbox, uh, PC game as opposed to a mobile phone game. This AAA game that they're, you know, recruiting people to develop is supposed to resemble the virtual community from the movie Ready Player One. They want to create their own sort of metaverse-type game like Fortnite or like Roblox, where it's really just a framework for a game. The game itself is creating more games on their system. And... I mean, I feel like every chance I get, I relate what's going on in the world back to Ready Player One, just because, <laughs> you know, I the story spoke to me so much for what the future is, right? What the future of gaming is, or just even technology. So to, to hear that this is happening, this is what really piques my interest, right? I've never played Call of Duty Mobile. I've never played Honor for Kings. I'm interested in the Pokemon Mobile game, but this really interests me also. Right. If you take if we talk about, you know, everything that we've kind of mentioned recently, 
right? You take AR is becoming uh, a bigger part of, of the world, of technology. People are going to have AR, VR headsets at home paired with this metaverse type, you know, Ready Player One game. It's, it's, it's getting closer and closer to Ready Player One, people. Yeah. It's going to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a AAA game that you can get on a traditional console, but you can also play on your phone. Like we've, we've both talked about mm. Genshin Impact in the past. That is a AAA style game that is available on phones, available on PC, and available on consoles. And it's interesting to see, like, is Tencent going to continue that and say, hey, no, we make the bulk of our money on, on phones. We want to make a AAA game. We can prove that we can put a AAA experience on a phone. Um, Timmy, you know, we trust Timmy to be able to, to do that, and we're going to hire all these people to do it and, and kind of set that set that bar. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can actually do it or if they will do it if they'll make it exclusive to consoles and PC or if they're actually making it on phones as well. I see them making it on phones as well. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of go back to what we were talking about last week with the Switch, Right. I think what we both found so appealing about the Switch was you could play it at home, sitting on your couch or sitting down with a TV, and you could easily take it on the go. One big thing that Microsoft is kind of betting on with their xCloud, right, is you can play a game on your Xbox, and let's say you have to go on the road somewhere or you're on your way to class or you're commuting somewhere, you can play that same game on your phone on the road now. So especially because it's Timmy doing this, right? They are, or they have been a mobile first gaming studio. It only makes sense that if they do end up producing this Ready Player One type community game for consoles, for PC, to also make it compatible with your phone too. Right now, obviously, there's going to be some, there's going to be bump in functions or graphics or gameplay, that sort of thing, if you're on an actual console. But it seems. It seems like it would be so easy to make it across platform, cross console, cross mobile to triple A type game. Yeah. Especially if you're talking about, okay, how do we improve on $10 billion revenue? Don't make it, okay, so you can only play it on a phone or you can only play it in a console. You could play it everywhere. Yeah. Right? You could play it on your Tamagotchi if you wanted to. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I guess any closing statements? Uh, honestly, I'm just. I'm really interested to see because I'd never heard of that game until you mentioned it. I'm interested to see what they actually bring forward. And it would be cool to see if they leverage, you know, the the talent that they own. Do they say, hey, we're gonna put we're gonna use Unreal Engine 5 and you know, Epic Games have already has already said Unreal Engine 5 will support everything from the Switch to phones to, to consoles. Does this give Tencent the ability to say, hey, we have this huge wealth of expertise from epic games let's bring them onto this project have us you know be the best one of the first you know high profile unreal engine 5 games that's available on every single platform available do they use their partnerships and you get pokemon characters in this game you get fortnite skins in this game right you get a i don't know honor of kings characters in the game also <laughs> <laughs> it uh, honestly anything is possible after seeing what fortnite the other day i was playing uh i was looking at the shop and you know seeing you know storm from x-men dance to anderson pack and, and bruno mars it just it's, it's insane anything is possible nowadays 
very, very true. Uh, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.